Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, good sir? Terrific. Just terrific. It's another exciting evening. We are recording on the precipice of the change in political power. And to that end, we are not going to talk about it. <laughs> Perfect. Instead, okay. yeah, right. Instead, we have a special guest with us here today that is a man that creates things, which is our favorite kind of people, you know, the ones that help to make the stories that entertain us and get us by from day to day. We are joined by Mike Phillips. How are you, good sir? Aces. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I say that we, we love to talk to people that create uh, stories, create things. Um, but my favorite type of the people uh, that make the stories and make the things are comic book type stories and things. So, you know, just always just an absolute treat to, to have something of uh, something like that on the show today. Um, so it's my pleasure to be here. Mike, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, where do you come from? How did you get your start in the comic book world? Okay, I uh, come from South Jersey, just outside Philly. I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I teach currently. I teach uh, seventh grade uh, early American history, first half, the safer half at this point, I guess. <laughs> uh, I think um, I uh, got my start in comics very recently. As far as making them, I've been um, critiquing, analyzing, running a website that's been on the critical side of things since uh, 2004 with an organization called Sequart. Um, I found a guy online who was my kind of crazy and he was running a website that was all about character continuity. It was called the Continuity Pages. It's not around anymore. Uh, but he was trying to catalog the lives of fictional characters. Like you could go to the Kal-El page and he would list them in his chronological order. It wouldn't be like action comics, you know, one, two, three, four, five. It would be, he was trying to jigsaw how to read Clark Kent's life from beginning to end. Um, and I was like, yes, this is, this is, I'm, I'm on board. So I contacted him and said, I'd love to help. And he gave me a few like menial tasks, like, you know, find me the anchors for Sandman one through eight, or, you know, just a type of, you know, data entry to make this crazy thing. Um, but then he thought he wanted to expand it um, and he rebranded it Sequart. And along the way we were doing articles and he turned one of his batch of articles about Batman Begins into a self-published book. This is before, I guess, CreateSpace with Amazon. It was lulu.com was the place. You could upload your PDF and make your own book and tell everyone where to get it. Um, so he made a quick book about Batman Begins and thus started our book line. And uh, since then we've created 40 books, uh, Grant Morrison, the early years and the British invasion and things like that. And that kind of started to roll into making documentaries about comics. We've made uh, Grant Morrison talking with gods, Neil Gaiman, um, Dream Dangerously, The Image Revolution, she makes comics. Um, so I guess it was around 2013, 2014, Julian was out at the San Diego Comic-Con and he just loved the vibe out there. He's like, everybody's making something. Everyone's got a plan. Even the critics, they're all, they have a plan to make their own book. We got to start making our own book. So just with a ridiculous amount of credit card debt, Julian started his own comic book line. So he started a second website for fictional stuff called Martian Lit. And he started publishing all these books about this you know, alternate history Martian invasion thing. And uh, I said, I've got an idea. And I pitched him my idea about um, a story that takes place in hell and all of the characters are just history's worst people. Um, so I called it like Gangs of New York or Game of Thrones in hell. You know, throw in a little pepper in a little bit of Highlander because once you kill somebody, you can scalp their halo and you can take their power. So it's Highlander and Game of Thrones and hell and just with all the most terrible assholes. And uh, it was a hoot. And that kind of led me to try to create my own because Julian helped me with that one because, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be an idea guy, but I'm not a trained writer, which he is. So but this one, I'm kind of branching out on my own. And that's why I reached out to you guys. I'm trying to create this different kind of anthology called the tessellation so where did your i guess love of or identification of or you know just like overall interest in the comic book world come from 
I'm a I'm a, a early reader of the '90s and the glut. I was a glutton for the glut, and uh, you know it had a shiny chromium cover. I was buying it, and that's when Marvel and DC really started, you know, getting a run for their money from Valiant and, and Image, and eventually Defiant and uh, you know, Malibu, uh, you know, uh, Ultraverse, Cross Gen. So I was there kind of for all of that, and just I just loved it all. I mean, I have I don't know how that informed what I am today, but like, I just was a sucker for all that stuff. And, um, I, you know, went to college when income is not so disposable anymore. So I fell out a little bit, but then I found Julian when I got my first teaching job and, um, just kind of rode his coattails and, uh, lo and behold, he's like, we should start making our own. Um, I don't know if I answered the question, but I started in the nineties and, uh, I just fell in love with the form. And then he introduced me to like, vertigo and the early icon stuff from dark horse and like concrete and uh you know doom patrol i just i kept branching and branching and realizing what comics could do beyond like the spandex stuff yeah there's 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 definitely a lot out there but i understand how to how to get kind of caught up in that in that uh 90s period because i mean it wasn't it wasn't just about the premium covers the glossy covers is about the multiple covers that's where that all started we have to have a different version you know, let's do uh, six different versions of this one yeah. comic and i think my favorite version i saw with that you talked about malibu actually came from malibu they had a book called the protectors and the whole shtick of that comic was uh there was a gunshot through the center of the comic so they just poked a hole into the middle of the comic <laughs> And that was the whole reason to buy it. Now, did that come bagged? Was that one of those it ones sure where did. you open one, you leave one in the bag, and you open the other one to read? Yep, yep. Hey, yeah, the bag, if I remember correctly, it had some sort of a collector's card along with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good days. Those those people knew how to uh, squeeze a buck out of the, oh, <laughs> out of yeah. the reader. Oh, yeah. I was working at McDonald's or the local shop, right, or whatever, and disposable income, and it, it just went into my pocket, and then it went over to, you know, a plus comics or whatever just just send it on over so okay so was you, there one go ahead you didn't miss uh yeah and just think like was there one that you 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 always i don't have the money but i'm gonna buy this one i think at that point kate the one i remember like i was begging my mom for it was my birthday's in november and this was like august and i was like i think it was the first appearance of cable like New Mutants 87 or something. I, I don't even know if it was the original. I, it might have been a reprint, and the guy was trying to shyster me. And I think the, the original was a red background, and then the second print was gold or vice versa. And I think I got my mom to buy me a $45 version of the second edition. Oh, which, oh man, yeah. But I, I cherished it. I didn't know at the time when you go down into like the fine print, you know second printing or whatever but uh, that one I, I i needed badly i also had a friend my brother had a friend whose aunt worked for marvel and she would always just give him boxes of like leftovers from around the office and i he did wasn't into comics but we were over at his house one day he's like you're into comics you want this and i was like yes yeah. so i took the box i came home and i'm just going through them all and one of them was like the death of Hobgoblin or something. It was a big one. It's the one where like Spider-Man's hand is reaching out of the bay, yeah. holding a mask. And I remember like this, I think this might be something. So I looked it up and it was probably know, worth like 30 or 40 bucks. And I took it to the local store and I traded that in for all of the most recent nightfall issues. So talk <laughs> about just not having a clue. And I haven't been a good businessman since then. So, well, this this industry I've always had this argument is, is not about uh, not about having that uh, eye for the future and what's going to be worth anything. It's just about embracing the stories that really reach out to you. Uh, I know I've talked to Richard a couple different times. My favorite title during that period, I think maybe six people read in the in the main series. I mean they had the uh, they had the the group of mystical heroes that kind of were the Midnight Suns, is what they called them in the Marvel side of things. So you had the the popular ones like, uh, um, you know, Morbius the Living Vampire, and you had the the Night Stalkers that Blade and all that. But the one that I liked was uh, the Darkhold Redeemers because it was kind of like watching Friday the Thirteenth the series, but in a comic book form. Yes. As they go from place to place and pick that stuff up, and that 
that kind of love can sometimes be rewarded in small ways, especially now with everything being converted into television shows and movies. And I, I wonder how many people, A, watched the, uh, the Hellstrom television show, and B, of those that did watch it, recognized the name of one of the main characters from that comic book. I feel like I'm in that very, very small Venn diagram of people that get the reference. And it's just kind of, it's joy. Yeah, it goes back to like have them being like geniuses of the gimmick back then because I knew about the Midnight Suns characters because I was always a sucker for crossovers. So you stick Spider-Man in the issue of Ghost Rider or Spirits of Vengeance or whatever, you stick him in the like in the issue before the crossover begins. So you're like, oh, Spider-Man's in this? What's this? And you're reading, you're like, next issue, come back for the 18-part epic. Everything looks like a black envelope, and I've got to get all the black envelopes now, you know? Right. Was it Murder Incorporated or uh, Darkhold? And uh, I don't know. There's a yeah. guy who looked like the, um, the little, little man from another place from uh, – Twin Peaks, but he had like brunette hair. Right, right, right. Uh, I don't remember who that was supposed to be. It's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a little bit of all of that because they just knew how to get you around the universe with all these crossovers. Yeah, it was, it was great stuff. Mm-hmm. It was fun. So, okay. In this love of comics, I'm just trying to think of this. So you, you've got this 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 history of loving the comic book genre, and your training your training was as a teacher. Then, um, how do you approach with that kind of a, a different kind of a different exposure uh, than what a lot of maybe classically trained writers might have? How do you approach creating a story that you think will be compelling for the reader? With my first series, Necropolitan, I definitely had what I thought was a fun idea, but I'm kind of um, like OCD, very anal. And like, I, I didn't know all the rules and what was holding me back was that that I had to follow the rules. So there, there were some rules, right, uh, to writing or just comic book creation in general. So I like, I would always wind myself up with going on, I'm going down a cool road here, but then I would always stop myself and saying, no, this needs to be perfect. I need to follow, you know, this color by numbers uh, uh, way of making comics. You got to follow this, whatever. And Julian, my my support partner, he like kind of he broke me of that. He's like, look, you've got a cool idea. I'll help you with this one. So he did. He kind of guided me along. He added some good ideas, and we are definitely co-creators. It's 50-50 now. But with this new one, I, I was really inspired with the tessellation. It's a multi. Uh, in, infinite realities comic and i knew that if i'm gonna be successful with this i have to make up my own rules and i have to create boundaries for myself and very specific boundaries because when you're like deciding how many panels go on a page how many words should be in a balloon like when you start getting into the minutiae like that i'm sure there are pros and cons and yeses and nos to those answers but i was like going crazy but i wanted to make this on my own so i just made up my own boundaries and but at the same time I was really heavily into um, Twin Peaks The Return at that time. And that David Lynch, I'm sure he has his own rule book, but he constantly just says, if it makes sense to you, make it. And, and just if, as long as you get it and you like it and, and you understand it, keep going. So there was a whole first draft mentality, like just go and don't stop and get it out, get it out, get it out. But I was still trying to follow these rules because if you take a look at some of the pages, it's all uniform sized panels. Um, there are four stories on the page and you read the book sideways. Like you literally can read the whole first row to the end of the issue, uh, whole second row, come back and read the second row, come back. Like I had all these kind of you know internal rules um, just to make sure I could get it done. Um, because if without rules like Necropolitan, like I always get bogged down in some stuff I don't know about and probably too lazy to read about with those, how to make a comic the Marvel way or whatever. <laughs> but with this one, you know, I was kind of doing this seesaw thing where I'm like, fuck it, do, just get it out of your head. David Lynch says it's okay to do it this way. But at the same time, I had these three or four like very anal retentive rules to allow me to go, okay, that's how many panels are on that page. It's always eight. It's always eight. They're the same size, you know, a place for everything and everything in its place. And just keep going. And if you have to backtrack 10 times to fix something that you realize was wrong, 
retroactively fix it or whatever, do it. And it took me a long time, but it's done. So issue one is almost done being drawn and it's a third of the way being colored. So it's, it's, it's been a journey, but I've learned a lot from it. Like don't drink while you're, while you're so writing. And, <laughs> that's probably a fair, a fair statement. Is there a, is there a favorite? So you mentioned David Lynch. Is there a favorite creator, whether it's a, a writer or maybe even an artist? Like, is there a favorite that you kind of identified with and maybe is kind of a, a somewhat guide of rules or something along those lines? I don't know about a guide of rules. I, I, I want to say that there was someone else who was influencing me at the time. And this may induce groans, but I don't care. I, I was like obsessed with the end of Interstellar. Hmm. Um, and just the idea that you could see all the times of your life at once. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the moratorium is on that. Surprise. But, spoilers. Um, I'm always fa fa fascinated by him only in the sense that when you see the tessellation, if you ever read it, um, uh, it's gimmicky. <laughs> Let's face it. It's gimmicky. Um, and a lot of what, um, Christopher Nolan goes for with, you know, like Interstellar and Inception. These are high concept gimmicks, right? And does he always pull them off? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty easy to please. So uh, I'm okay with it. But I know there's people who are just, I mean, they live for poking holes. And fine. I mean, that's, look, I, I, I created Sequart. I've been doing it for 18 years. We've been analyzing, you know, you never like pick apart a joke, you know, because it ruins the joke. I get it. There's a, there's a fine line. You've got to, you know. So I can see both sides of it, but it's it's gimmicky. But the the gimmick of 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 Interstellar or whatever the, the the idea of a fifth dimension or whatever was kind of messing with me at the time. Now I didn't use the fifth dimension. I just used infinite realities where every idea is possible. But still, it was there because you know there's a lot of emotions in that movie, especially being a parent, and he's he doesn't get to see his kids grow up. So like I got sucked in that way. And then the end, the 2001 space odyssey kind of ending really just walled me with the idea of all these possibilities are all around you all the time. Uh, whether you're in that, in the bookcase room with his daughter or you're inside of a black hole, you can witness all of these different possibilities at once. And I was like, okay. And I kind of morphed that into my own fears about being a parent, being a bad husband. Like I'm constantly right next to another reality. They're all on my shoulder right now. Every decision I make, if I decide to pull a Jeffrey Tubin right now on this interview, <laughs> you know, there's a whole other reality that I will be living in for the rest of my life. You know, it's right there on my shoulder. Uh, don't worry, you guys are safe. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the idea is just that I love that they're all there. I'm scared that they're all there too. So I was influenced by Lynch big time. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Lynch fan, but in that particular moment, I made some sort of connection between the, the Tesseract and what I'm doing with this infinite realities thing. Well, I can understand the on your shoulder thing, though. Truthfully, the only thing that's ever on my shoulder are the angel and demon from uh, Emperor's New Groove, just so two little cronks and outfits. <laughs> As you can tell, my life has been going swimmingly because no matter which one I listen to, things do not quite turn out the way that I'm hoping. Okay. It's like the Costanza effect. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, okay. So, in the, um, I know we've, we've talked to a handful of, of different people that have uh, created their own work, and you always have that, that giant investment. Um, this is this is your story that you're trying to get across to get people to love and to want. But sometimes you just can't do everything yourself. You have to kind of delegate the roles. I'm the writer. I'm not an artist. I, I can't draw well enough to make this happen. So how do you how do you create the communication that you need to make your imagined reality something that the artist sees is that something that you try to do or is is it more of you explain kind of what you're trying to do and let them help to create that reality in their own way being an ocd person and an anal person letting go is a very difficult task 
Um, and when I was making this, I was going in my own mind. I'm like, no one is ever going to agree to this. It was 30,000 words for 30 <laughs> pages of comic. You can imagine someone reading that and getting to page three and going, fuck it. No, thanks. It's not no amount of money is worth this. Um, and I just thought that's what the David Lynch thing was. Just just go, 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 go. You may luck out and find somebody who will go, oh, I'm the same kind of crazy as you. Let's do this. I know that's a needle in the haystack to find someone who not only can put aside the mercenary aspect of just being a work for hire artist and going, no, I, I get it. I like it. I'm going to read it to the end. I like it so much. I want to stay with this and, and, and listen to your little you know OCD and anal tweaks. But it was a hard road. I started in 2017 and this thing's not going to come out until July. Mm. <laughs> so um, I've had three, four different artists. Um, um, the first one, I wrote this not even thinking it wouldn't be an English speaker reading it. So the first person we hired, it was one of Julian's artists that he was working with in his Martian uh, universe. He speaks Portuguese. Um, so that was a hurdle. And after seven pages, it just wasn't working out for that reason, but other reasons too. Like he was drawing a lot of stuff I didn't see in my head. And I thought, you got to pick your battles. You can't give him 17 notes on this one page. You got to pick the three or four that need to be changed. And it just became uh, insurmountable. He's a great artist, but like we just weren't matching up. So we parted amicably. We're still friends. Um, the next guy, he had some medical issues. I think he was somebody who was just more mercenary going, yeah, I get it. I like it. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And then just the months dragged on and his father passed away and COVID and um, he has dialysis every couple of weeks and it wipes him out. So that guy went and the third guy came and went without you know, just blink of an eye. He was back out. Um, he realized that it was too crazy. But then I went onto these, one of these Facebook groups, which is literally a shot in the dark. And um, I just I had this warning. Look, I know this is crazy. So please, you need to know off the bat. This is you're not probably not going to like this, but I'm, it's a paying gig. I'm ready to roll. And let's go. And this guy, Hernan, shows up. I mean, yeah, you always get like 30 people going, I'm in. They haven't read a thing. You know, there's like, I'm in because they're hungry and I get it. But I, you have to weigh how much you can afford to pay with the skill level. So that's another balancing act. And this guy was uh, good. And then I said, well, can you do this price? And he goes, yes. So he was hungry, but he was also willing to dive in. And I tell you, it was just this needle in a haystack. And he is I already consider him a great friend. I, I've only known him for eight months and he bought in 100%. It's his baby now too. He loves it almost as much as I do. And I just can't believe it happened. I'm pinching myself all the time. And he spoiled me. He spoils all of my OCD tendencies because he always chalks it up to him not understanding the English translator, whatever, when he translates it to Spanish. Uh -huh. And he just says, I go, oh yeah, well this person needs to be this. And, and you forgot about that. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So he'll literally change it. I have to be careful because like he will let me go back into those old tendencies that like scared off the first artist from my hell comic, like in 2014, where he's like, you can't send me all these edits. Like, I can't do all of this. And then I learned that the hard way. So I started getting better. <laughs> now Hernan has just ruined me again. I'm back <laughs> to being a tyrant. So he sees it. So is he Normally is, he, he gets it pretty much right away. Sorry, go ahead. But he, he knows it right away. We only have like little tiny things. So with, is he, is he in, in the United States? Um, no, he's in Argentina. Oh, oh that, that becomes my question then. Obviously we're doing a, a Zoom call right now and that's probably one of the easier things to do. But I guess how does that change when you've you've probably never physically met this person? It's just all been stuff like this, right? Our uh, Facebook Messenger chat, if you like, were to print it out, is probably at this point a mile long. Not kidding. And um, he has to take everything I send him and put it through a translator. It's amazing that it's even working. I've never spoken to him um, verbally. Um, he says he understands English a little bit when he hears it, but when he sees it, he it, it's gobbledygook. So he has to always. So when I send him a note, I have to send it in one bubble because I feel bad having to him to copy and paste out of 17 bubbles. So, <laughs> yeah, we again, I, I did not know when I was writing this a couple of years ago that it wasn't going to be an English speaker. It didn't even dawn on me if I had known that. Like now I'm, you know, I'm almost, you know, I'm halfway done writing issue two. 
uh, finally scripting issue too. And now I'm totally writing for her not. I know how to make my sentences a lot clearer, not choosing the weird big word, you know, so that has definitely been, it's actually kind of a relief, honestly, that I don't have to go into detail. And I know that after the fact, if he doesn't get it, I go, well, this, you know, this guy needs whatever. You don't know what a mullet is? Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> What's the translation for mullet? Come on. It's just but a sad emoji. He's amazing. So, okay, well, there, there actually is a nugget of an interesting kind of question in that. In terms of writing styles, I know that there is a couple of different approaches when you're creating this world, this universe that you want to exist. Some people prefer, when they write it, to deal with one single story at a time. I'm just taking the self-contained moment and trying to make it a reality, while other people are thinking seven, eight, nine steps down the road. This is how eventually I want this world to react and to be, and then try to make that story fit into that narrative as well as they can. Do you try and go from the macroscopic, or do you take a more kind of um, uh, more limited scope at a time? Yes. <laughs> um, the first issue I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to there it's like a, a any prog rock song you've got your softer more moments and you've got your bombastic moments so I think those are the best songs um, so I want there to be a buffet but I thought with the first story I'm definitely I've got such a crazy gimmick here I can counterbalance that gimmick with something very very down to earth so three of the four stories branch off from this one road rage moment so they don't actually branch super far away from each other. It's just the amount of pressure that you're putting on the accelerator and what that can lead to. Um, so three of the stories are domestic drama, domestic tragedy in certain realities. Um, so 75% of the issue is write what you know, or at least write what you fear, you know? Um, there's a lot of things that bounce around my head, you know, late at night about being, like I said, being a dad, being a husband. And I've incorporated a lot of those fears into what if I just take my mind off of what I'm doing when I'm driving 70 miles an hour down the highway with my whole family in the car. So um, a lot of it was just very, very tame, banal domestic stuff. Now the bottom row is kind of the other part of the prog song, the one where just things go completely cuckoo and you're like, why are they using that instrument? And then after you listen to it 10 times, you're like, oh yeah, it can't be, the song's nothing without that, that instrument. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the one where another version of him that broke off in high school, who's a much more successful like hotshot LA lawyer, he's wealthy, he's got money to burn and he finds out about this like secret organization that sells trips to another reality like what's this it's almost like michael douglas in the game you, you like you, it's kind of unbelievable but you can imagine if it existed only wealthy people would be able to do it and they would tell each other while they're rubbing elbows at the country club oh you gotta try this i went to another reality and i assassinated myself and it was great talk about punching a pillow you know that kind of thing so there's the xylophone or the kazoo <laughs> that's the instrument that gets whipped out in the bottom row so i try to I tried to have both my cake and eat it too in the first issue, but it is mostly mundane. In the second issue, all four realities are way, same woman, but way, way far apart. So I'm trying to almost, instead of having it banal and crazy, I'm trying to find like a four realistic yet still intriguing tales throughout. So I'm trying a little bit of everything. Starting with the game and then ending up with Jet Li's The One is what it sounded like there for a minute. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I've heard that since I've been working on this. Yeah. Uh, and I do love that idea, trying to kill all the other versions of yourself. So obviously, I got to stay away from that. But there's there's a fun twist there I could probably even, you know, maneuver in my own way. So, okay. Now, for somebody that's managed to, to poke holes in a lot of other stories, a common issue that a lot of writers get into is coming up with a concept that's really cool and developing it and then writing themselves into a corner, mm -hmm. uh, making it so that there's really only one or two ways that are very plot hammer. I'm just going to force in a machina to take care of everything because that's the only thing that I have left. 
what do you do to try and help avoid that particular pitfall? Because it sounds like the kind of thing that could be complex enough to lend itself to that particular issue. Can you give me an example of like some story that has this this obvious gimmick that they have painted themselves into the corner? Like, are we talking like the stand where like Stephen King blows up half of the, the characters kind of deal? <laughs> well, hey, we're gonna have a pandemic and everyone's gonna die, but we still have a million characters and I can't handle this. It's gonna be 9 billion pages. Let me blow up half of them right now. Is that what you mean? I'm, I'm thinking more of, let, let's go, let's keep it in the comic book world and, okay. and cinematically speaking. So Avengers Endgame, they decide to go the time travel route and then everything gets fixed with some rather sloppy and inconsistent uses of time travel that will, for the average viewer that isn't going very deep into it, be just fine and it will never actually matter and they're not really going to think about it too much. But for those of us that apparently have nothing better to do than to think about these things, it just itches at that part of your brain. It's like they just use time travel in two completely different ways that do not mesh at all. And they negate certain aspects of the storytelling that they've already done, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't have a good answer for I you. I know, that's a hard one. <laughs> I can say, I can say that coming from Sequart, I'm going to deserve every lump that I take. Uh, because again, it's just all about, you want to be able to pick this stuff apart because that's the fun of the conversation. You know, that's like, we, if we find a hole, it's kind of exciting, but at the same time, if you analyze something and all of it fits together, that's equally exciting, but in a more rewarding way, I guess. So I'm sure I think about it sometimes. I'm sure I'm going to hit a point where I've painted myself into the corner with all my rules and gimmicks. And I believe me, there are gimmicks. Like if you looked at the page I sent you, I've got oh, yeah. to break apart these realities. I've got them color coded. I've got, I've got little tiny hexagonal borders to, to show to show you. That's my visual cue that this is two different realities on the same page. I'm gonna forget that at some point. There's not gonna be there, or, or the letterer or whoever Julian's gonna forget to put it in, and then people are gonna be like, "Well, I thought that was two different realities," and I'm be like. Oh, but it, it, I'm going to retroactively explain it in that moment. You know, like, I knew that misprint was there. I don't know. I'm not a smart guy. I came up with something and it felt good. And I'm going to keep going until the money doesn't come back in from Kickstarter. And it may not come in from this first one. So that'll be the proof in the pudding right there. So I don't have a good answer. I made a gimmicky comic and it, it may be a house of cards. So we'll see what happens. Luckily, Julian is a very, very bright guy and he's okay with it. So I've got like some bulletproofness with him, <laughs> but something's going to get by. I, I, can't, I hate to say it, I'm not like some whiz like Hickman or these people or Grant Morrison who, who can just do it. I just came up with an idea. I'm an amateur writer and trying something and it probably will all fail. Nah, <laughs> so nah, I love it. It's, it's bound to succeed. I, I, mean, love, I love what it looks like so far. train wreck. That's all I can tell you. It's a big swing. It's an ambitious swing. Let's go for it. <laughs> so you're, um, you said you're in, in Jersey. Are you, have you always been a like East Coast person? Like, did you grow up on the East Coast? Yeah, I'm just pretty much South Jersey my whole life. Now, what, what type of influence does that have on your work? We, we've talked to a lot of folks who are from the Midwest, which obviously has a strong influence on how they do things. What does the East Coast do for you, for your work, for your writing, or even for the logistics behind your writing? Like, What, what does that mean to you? Hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm influenced by South Jersey. I love wide open spaces. Um, South Jersey is nothing like when they paint New Jersey in Hollywood. It's, you know, it's Newark. <laughs> yeah. it's always newark i mean there's that yep. stretch of i-95 where everything and that's new jersey right it's like this megalopical disaster uh post-apocalyptic waste zone i grew up in the pine barrens where the jersey devil is and you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's like about equidistant from ac and philly and it's just dark you can go out to the pine barrens and look straight up and see on the other side of the milky way basically um there's no light pollution and it's just a beautiful place um 
how has that influenced me? I don't know. I mean, I, I like the quiet, but in, um, in, in, in this story, I wanted to base it in Colorado because I, uh, Colorado, sorry. I was highly influenced when I was only out there for a couple of months, a couple summers in a row. I loved the mountains. If anything, I almost no slight to Jersey, but like, I'm, this is fantasy land for me when I go sit with my laptop and I wanted to create an idyllic place for this domestic domestic disaster to happen. So um, again, no slight to Jersey. I love South Jersey. I love sod farms and just long flat vistas, but for some reason, mountains are just way more uh, exciting to me. I, I, it's kind of a non-answer, but um, yeah, I don't go into Philly much. No so, wrong answers here. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot there. I, I love it here. I, I would never want to move. Um, the taxes are terrible, but other than that, it's a really cool place. Now, uh, I, we always ask this question later, but you know, since we're talking about geographics anyway, we might as well just kind of stick it in right here. Just, <laughs> just jam, jam in the the question that really has nothing to do with anything. This is something that Richard usually asks. So I'm going to let him take this particular question because it's super important. Well, we usually ask the crucial question about pizza, right? So favorite, maybe favorite place, maybe a local place, uh, or maybe the favorite style of pizza, especially being on the East Coast. Uh, what, what are your favorites? Okay. There's no particular place around here that is like the go-to place. I live out in the middle of nowhere. So we got, we've got like a couple of like chain, not like Domino's chains, but like local family chains that do a serviceable job. But I mean, if I had it my way, it would be like a thin crust, like um, margarita, you know, uh, with just the, 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 the burnt blotches of mozzarella here and there and the basil, but the exposed yeah. sauce elsewhere. That's a huge one. Um, a uh, deep dish. Uh, I've been to Chicago and I've had some deep dish and like just the idea of a pie that is filled with sausage, <laughs> and mushrooms and onions is like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream. I haven't had any in a while. So my uh. wife would never eat that, but those are my big ones. But yeah, no, like the big thing that we do when we do go into Philly, uh, besides going to like um, Chinatown or like, like Koreatown would be to stop by and get the cheesesteaks. I mean, it is cliche, but they're, they're gross in the best way possible. And you go down to the stadiums for the Eagles and the Phillies and the Flyers and the Sixers, and like they all have a presence there. So it's definitely the cheesesteak thing. But pizza, margarita, or deep dish would be my go-tos. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, cheesesteaks get the, the best advertising in terms of sociability with that particular area. And mm -hmm. as we all know, advertising is particularly important. On that note... Don't forget that the Pudding Guys are very easily trackable down on social media. We are at Real Pudding Guys on Twitter. We are at Pudding Guys on Facebook and on any other type of social media that you will find. But of course, the most important thing to remember is we are at Pudding Guys on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can help support us as we bring you new interesting people to talk to, new equipment to talk into, and hopefully, uh, you know, just make it the best possible thing to show. Pretty good uh, segue there. I always like the <laughs> clean. Yeah. Uh, and then I always ruin it by immediately calling it out after. I, it's, it's, it's my favorite part. I call everything I do out. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So let's, let's have a fun imagination thing. Let's, let's say that your project takes off. It's just, it goes gangbusters and you're able to continue on with this storyline. Do you ever have kind of a dream team kind of imagining of who you would love to work with in terms of uh, the, the pencils going down or the inks or the color or uh, somebody you'd love to write with? Who are those people that are kind of uh, the, the point where you turn into the fanboy again? Um, I think what's cool about this sandbox that I'm messing with is that you can have any kind of story, any almost any realistic genre. If it's a possibility, then it could happen, you know, even extreme possibilities, as long as they're within the realm of possibility. So any genre that falls into realistic fiction would work. So I could work with anybody and that that really kind of opens things up. But um, I guess Paul Chadwick. Uh, from concrete would nice. definitely be a big one. 
um, I was just flipping through, I think it was um, when they redid those trades, those black and white trade. Well, I guess it's all black and white. They redid those trades, I want to say, like 15 years ago. I think it's the third one where he is like helping with special effects for a Hollywood production. Mm-hmm. I mean, flip through, I can't remember what it's called right now, but when you flip through that, he's he's got such range. I mean, he's doing like a Dali painting at one point. Um, just like surreal stuff. I mean, the guy is a, a genius, and I don't, I don't really see him around anymore. I mean, I know he's got a presence on Twitter, but I would love to work with him. Sam Keith, for sure. Jay Lee. I mean, there's too many. I, mean, I could, I could come up with some sort of genre or tale for any of those guys. Um, hmm. As far as writers, I mean, Grant Morrison, like that guy is the guy. That guy's brain. I don't know. I just read an article the other day that like your brain can compute like up to 10 different <laughs> dimensions or something. I think this guy can compute like infinite dimensions. Like he's, <laughs> he's so, he's so awesome. And he's a nice, nice guy. I, I would love him to just be one of the people who poked a hole. I would be okay if he poked a hole <laughs> in the tessellation. He's like, no, you're doing this wrong and do this, do that, do this. I'd be like, sir. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Um, but he does all that with like a loving hand, you know. Uh, Derek Robertson's another one. Uh, we met him when we were making the Warren Ellis documentary, and he actually helped us avoid a huge problem with Necropolitan because the original idea was it was going to be like a fish out of water. Your POV is the the, the main character in issue one, and it was originally going to be Jeffrey Dahmer. Ooh. I'm edgy, and um, he goes, "There's no way." A, I'm not going to do the cover for this because we were asking him to do the cover because he did the cover for Julian's first issue. And he's like, A, no one's going to believe this guy's a protagonist. You'll never win anybody over in that way. And B, I'm not going to do the cover <laughs> if this guy's the guy. And, I, and me and Julian put our heads together for about a nanosecond. And we go, okay, we need to work on this a little bit. Eventually, <laughs> though, he didn't do the cover anyway. Um but not because he hated us. It just, you know, whatever timing didn't work out, but like he gave us a lot of great ideas along the way, not only that, but a couple other things. And like, he was really instrumental and I'm really happy to see his success right now. Um, yeah. As far as other writers go, mm, I mean, Neil Gaiman. Oh yeah. Can't go wrong there. No. So yeah. are you now, now this has a, a side question, I guess you could say, uh, small first one. Are you still at school right now? No, this beautiful ceiling is my basement. I'm trying to be as far away from my family as possible. Okay. Oh, I was just wondering because I was wondering how much time that uh, that dedicates, right? Because obviously school's back in session right now, and at least at some of the schools around here, there's a lot of in-person school with some e-learning. Uh, what has the majority of your school session been like for this school year? Um, I guess since March, when we finally went uh, full virtual, I've only been in my school building maybe 12 times. Um, We went from March to June. I was teaching from the kitchen. Um, And then starting in September, we were still fully remote. And right around November they just decided we're prepared. We have finally figured out how to prepare the school. We've figured out a schedule to do a hybrid cohort A, cohort B. And we were in the building maybe eight days and then our county went to red. So Mm -hmm. then we all had to go back home. And um, so I've really only been in the building a handful of days since March. It's surreal. I mean, some of it's great. I mean, I love the feel of sweatpants. It's weird taking them off. putting on anything other than that is like it feels like a failure <laughs> um but i really feel for these kids the malaise that these kids are going through right now i mean i've just bent almost every rule about late work um these kids these kids i mean they, they the a and b a and b kids are like c d f kids now um, their parents are thrown for a loop and they can only monitor them so much because they're working too. I mean, I'm most of the time I'm here with my two little kids and they're in like, um, they're in first and third grade. And I see some of this math and I'm like, Oh my God, this is why I became a history teacher. Um, they yes. do math in a whole different way now. Um, oh, it's, 
it's ridiculous. It's impossible. I, I haven't figured it out days. myself. Yeah. So there's some days where I'm just kind of sitting down and, and I'm, I've settled into the lazy boy. The sweats are everywhere. And it's like, Ryan, did you finish that work? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And you're like, you don't know? Oh, so you got to get up and go to Google Classroom and see what he forgot to click turn in on. And did he yep. turn stuff in that wasn't even started? I mean, I can only imagine what my kids' parents, my students' parents are going through because they're dealing with seventh graders who are going through the big one, right? Mm. They're going through puberty. Um, and uh, the, their social life is nil, which in seventh grade to have no social life is like the nadir of like possibilities. So, and a lot of these kids have just given up. I had a kid today, I'm, today was my first day back since we left in late uh, November. And I had a kid who just passed out at his desk and I had to shake his desk, wake up, wake up. And he's like, huh? And I was showing a video of Martin Luther King stuff. <laughs> and I go, are, are you, are you okay? I mean, if you're going to sleep, you got to go to the nurse. And he goes, no, 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 no. I can't hear him. The movie's playing. He's got a mask on. And I'm assuming he's just being like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm like, all right, just stay awake. Watch the movie. And I go back to my podium and, you know, I pause it to give some whatever, uh, like a little bit of a illuminating some point. And then like three minutes later, his head's back down and he's passed out. Like these kids have no structure. They're probably staying up till three in the morning. It's just, it's, uh, you know. I could go into my anger at the situation, but it's kind of silly and pointless because we've all we've all said our piece about that. Well, it was, I guess, the curious point to that would be, you have all these responsibilities, and you know, it's like just like Ken and I, we we work full time, and we have other things that we had to do. Well, how does this, your situation with how school is going, how does it affect the creativity? How does it affect the process? Um, bad. I would say because we have summers off, we were lucky. We're, my wife and I are both teachers, so we're home. So summer was great. I like, I probably spent too much time plotting issue two. I have this whole Google Docs grid and I just would slave over that because I always tell myself, if you slave over this part, the scripting is going to be a breeze. Um, but now that the school year is in full swing, like, uh, yeah, I can barely muster up the energy at the end of the day. Cause like I've created such a wacky thing that just to kind of bring my brain to that moment to go, okay, let me upload this shit into my mind again so I can write a page and keep all my rules intact, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely killing it. The fact that I wrote this week was a huge accomplishment. I texted Hernan right away. Another shout out to Hernan Gonzalez. I text him. I, I wrote page seven. It's a big deal. You know, I'd written page six a month ago, you know, so it's, yeah, it's not good. Uh, yeah. Getting that, getting that way forward, that's going to be difficult for a lot of people. Uh, I, I think I empathize greatly with, with what you're dealing with. We, we have our own projects that we are currently working on and it takes a certain amount of dedication and time. And it's just, Sometimes you just don't do it. I come home and I'm just done. Give me a nap. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather, and it's, a, it's so sad to say, but sometimes my wife will do the candy crush. It's just a, it's a meditation or I'll do the doom scroll or whatever. It's a, it, it's a weird kind of just, this is how I'll wind down and then pass out after a six pack or whatever. It's yeah. It's, I mean, I, I could be using that time. I just spent two hours doing bullshit um, and I could have been doing that, but I don't have the capacity to, like I said, upload that crazy thing, yeah. deal with it. But yeah, I mean, Richard's in his car right now, so he's obviously dedicated. <laughs> well, it's not just a car. It's a special studio for recording. It's the, Maz it's the Mazda Studios. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, the soundproofing, um, you know, the, the lighting. I mean, it's... So you're special. a test pilot. Mazda's using you as the guinea pig for this new... Uh, Correct. Yes. <laughs> nice. It was so I much expect, easier. I expect compensation sometime soon, you know. Right. <laughs> I, I definitely remember the days when we would both be in the same room recording at the same time. That was, I, I, I miss, I miss that quite a bit. <laughs> you guys live close together. Uh, gosh, yeah. That was. It was a year, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You at least. I don't um, want to. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I don't want to throw my wife under the bus, but like 
another weird aspect of all this is like our kids are they're not i don't think they're as hurting as a seventh grader who like really needs that social even just be to know where they are in the pecking order which is a weird kind of disturbing thing but a little bit but my kids, luckily, they're not worried about that aspect. They just want to play with somebody other than their brother. So then she's got to make these decisions. Like, I think the family down the street is pretty safe and they wipe down their groceries. I think it's okay if they play together. But you are kind of playing Russian roulette. It's like, yeah. remember in the day when we were taking health class and it was like, if you have unprotected sex, you're having sex with every person that that person ever had sex with. And now it's like, <laughs> if you go have a conversation in the cul-de-sac... <laughs> Got <laughs> a mask on. You're having a conversation with every person that person had a conversation yeah. with in the past few weeks, but you don't want your kids to just be bouncing off the walls in here. We tell them to run around the house sometimes. Yep, yep. It's, it's crazy. Uh, that is nuts. Well, let's get the the real crux, the meat here. So we've talked about the project that you're doing. We know basically what the whole thing is. The important thing to need to know is how to be able to be a part of this project so you've got a, a kickstarter going on right it's not going. going i was hitting um podcasters to kind of make sure that i had enough time so that when it went live it might synchronize with when it goes live the goal is to have it go live in early uh, february so it's so not live yet so so there's no there's no specific so what we'll make sure to do we will definitely tweet out what that link is when the time comes to uh, to do so but if they want to follow you say on social media what is the best way to find out what exactly it is that you're doing you can follow me on twitter at mike makes comics you can also follow sequard at at sequard it's s-e-q-u-a-r-t i run that account too so you can reach out to me that way on facebook sequard has a bunch of like um merch pages for every book and movie we've made so you can find me I'm, I'm always looking at all that stuff so but mike makes comics on twitter is probably the best way i don't do the gram <laughs> well post script pages you know like artists are all about the gram but i i don't go there too much well some sometimes uh sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not we have a very specific person in charge of the instagram account and it has been used for the uh for the most exciting things that we've done like mowing the lawn or <laughs> yes point, honestly i would love to get crucial it. lawn mowing video oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's my zen place to mow the lawn so i miss it right now it's too cold well i have to say we are ecstatic to have had you come talk to us and hear about your product uh project it sounds fantastic i can't wait to take a look at it when it comes out and uh we will definitely be keeping an eye on this, and we wish you the best and hope that uh, hope that this spawns a long line of really interesting stories that we'll all get to enjoy. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to talk about this, and it was nice to meet you guys. 